Podcastle, episode 284, for October 29th, 2013. The October Witch, by Francesca Forrest. Rated PG. Welcome to Podcastle. I'm M.K. Hobson, and today's story is The October Witch, by Francesca Forrest. The story was originally published in Kaleidotrope in its winter 2013 issue. According to the author, today's story came to her when she was musing on what kind of ghost stories the song collector and folklorist Alan Lomax might tell. For those of you who aren't familiar with Lomax's work, he was called the father of the American folk song revival, and he got his start in the early 1930s working with his father, John A. Lomax, also a pioneering folklorist. Together they developed the Library of Congress's Archive of American Folk Song, recording thousands of songs and oral histories in their original settings all across the United States and into the Bahamas and Haiti. Allen introduced folk luminaries such as Woody Guthrie, Lead Belly, Josh White, Burl Ives, and Pete Seeger on his national radio program, and together with many others, helped to bring protest folk songs into the union struggle and the civil rights movement. After six decades of folk song hunting, he retired in 1996 and died in July 2002. There's a great documentary about him out there. You can find it at www.lomaxthesonghunter.com, and many of the recordings he captured are available through the Global Jukebox imprint. Author Francesca Forrest has lived near the coast of Dorset, England, and by a bamboo grove in Japan, but has spent the last 10 years within walking distance of the Quabbin Reservoir in Massachusetts. Her short stories and poems hide out in various corners of the internet. She blogs at asakiyumi.livejournal.com. The story is read by Steve Anderson, a frequent podcastle narrator who listeners may remember from The Tonsor's Son. He does voiceover and video work at sgacreative.com and live storytelling at greattaleslive.com. Enjoy the story and have a happy Halloween. The October Witch by Francesca Forrest Mountain road, night coming on, but Josh doesn't slow down. He's a good driver, used to all sorts of roads in all sorts of conditions. But the car, as if it has its own opinions on the road in the evening, slows to a gravelly stop tanks empty. No use cursing, though Josh lets a few slip. These things happen. It just means hiking back to the last town and stepping out of the car. Josh sees how the left front tire is balanced just at the edge of a spot where the road's washed out. A bit more gasoline, and the car would have gone over the edge and down thirty feet, probably ending up jammed in those hemlocks there by the big rock. Josh pictures the chassis crumpling, imagines a strut slicing through the seatbelt and catapulting him through the windshield. He imagines himself tangled in those same hemlocks, or maybe lying among the ferns a few feet on, blood soaking into the moss. He looks away from the drop. Considering the might have been, today's a good luck day after all. But it's still getting dark, and at the end of October the air's frosty, so it's time to start walking. 
Need a lift? It's a woman in a pickup truck, maybe Josh's age, maybe some years older from the lines on her face. She's probably been driving this truck since she was 15 and hasn't ever left these mountains. I'd appreciate it. Just back to the gas station will be great. The woman shakes her head. It'll be closed by the time we get there. My husband can drop you back in town tomorrow morning, assuming he gets back home tonight. Otherwise, I will. I'm Audra, she offers a hand. I'm Josh. Pleased to meet you. And thanks, he climbs in the truck. Audra tells him that she works in town at the supermarket and that her husband is a lineman who's been busy these past two days restoring power after that amazing thunderstorm, the one that washed out the road where Josh's car now sits. When she hears that Josh is in a master's program studying folklore, she grins. Then you must have heard about the October Witch. I'm surprised you got in the truck with me. October Witch? No, I think I missed that one, says Josh, returning the grin, wondering whether Audra's spinning a line or if this is a real folktale he's about to hear. Uh, I guess she comes out on Halloween and maybe, what, uh, grabs drivers off the road? Well, she mainly stalks newly departed souls, the confused ones, not sure which is the narrow way up to heaven and which is the wide path to hell. When she spies the soul of a fine-looking young man, she invites him home to be her husband for a year. I don't have to add that you don't take no for an answer. Guess I'm lucky she prefers her men dead, then. Oh, well, if she takes a shine to you, she'll find a way to get your soul, whether you're living or dead. Josh laughs. It really does sound like the type of story mothers tell their sons to keep them from getting into strange women's trucks. They've turned off the road onto a steeply climbing track. The truck labors a little, then relaxes into a clearing. The headlights sweep over a small cabin. The dog on the porch lifts his head and pulls itself to its feet. Audra kills the lights. Nothing visible now but the inky silhouettes of trees against the tiny circle of sky above the clearing. Let me guess, the October witch lives in a tiny cabin in a clearing on the mountainside, Josh says. That's what she'd like you to see, Audra replies, getting out of the truck and walking, without benefit of flashlight, toward the cabin. Josh follows her, treading carefully, his night visions not what it might be. But really, her place is just some tumble-down tree, half-rotted out. It's only by witchery that she makes it seem homelike, with butter-yellow curtains on the windows and a pieced star quilt on her bed, Audra continues, opening the door to the cabin. It's pitch black inside. Sorry about the dark. We lost power in the storm, too, and my husband hasn't repaired the cable. Too busy getting everyone in town sorted. She lights a hurricane lamp and several candles on the kitchen table, then lights the wood stove. Have a seat, she says, indicating the kitchen table. I'll heat up some soup. It's thick, split pea soup, smoky flavored, with bread on the side. Now see, the October witch, she feeds you only meat caught in the hunt. Venison, grouse, turkey. You eat by candlelight with her, just like we're doing. 
but she don't use Walmart utility candles. Hers are pure beeswax, and she lights so many of them that the air smells like honey. Helps with her spell-making, that sweet smell and flickering light, and she looks more beautiful by candlelight. Audra looks more beautiful by candlelight. Her lean face seems softer now, and her eyes seem as deep and dark as the night sky with the points of the reflected candle flames for stars. The glossy wood of the table reflects the flames, too. Josh runs his hand along it, smooth as still water, but with a split running the length of it. It grabs your eye, don't it, says Audra, nodding at the split. They say the good Lord broke the October witch's table with a lightning bolt. They say he sent it down to keep her from profaning his name with her false mealtime grace one Halloween when she had some poor soul in her clutches. Did that one get away? Audra shakes her head. Don't nobody get away. Not that I've heard tell, anyhow. Where'd the split really come from? asked Josh. You don't like the story I just told you? You an atheist? She sounds amused. Well, the truth is, that table's old, very old. Been in my family since forever. My grandmother told me that her grandmother's grandfather made it for all his children and grandchildren to eat around. He was so heartbroken when the Civil War divided the family that he took an axe to the table. When the war was over, he mended it. But it's had that scar ever since. The old dog from the porch comes over to Audra's side, whining. Sorry, Buster. Daddy's got a busy night tonight, she tells it, stroking its head. How old's your dog? Josh asks. Buster? This old fella's going on sixteen. Just lays around and sleeps nowadays. Not a very October witchy sort of dog, remarks Josh coaxing the dog over with a piece of bread dipped in soup. Not Buster, no, says Audra. But the October witch don't need flesh and blood dogs. She's got a pack of former husbands to do her hunting for her when she's got a mind to hunt. Josh is yawning now, and he lets Audra move him to the couch by the wood stove in the other room. She sets a mug of cider on top of the stove, saying something about how it ain't like the October witch's moonshine, which is real fire water with actual hellfire flames in it. But Josh is already dozing. He barely notices when she covers him with a crocheted blanket. I'll wake you when my husband gets home, she tells him. And the next thing Josh hears is Audra saying, There he is, Ev. He's a folklorist, he said. And so Josh rouses himself and gets up to greet his host and blinks because the cabin's bathed in light. Then he remembers what Audra said about her husband needing to repair the cable. That must be it. The electricity's back on. But no, this light bends and twists. It's candlelight, but from many more candles than before. So many candles now, hard to see what surfaces they're perched on, the cabin's so flickering bright, could be they're floating. Almost threatening all those hungry little flames, needing something to consume to make the darkness dazzle. In that dancing light, 
Josh sees a big man in a reflective vest with a utility belt around his waist and a helmet under his arm. His cheeks are unshaved and there are circles under his eyes. Audra leads him by the hand to Josh. Evan, meet Josh, my future husband. Then, leaning in so her lips touch Evan's ear, only minutes and you'll be free. But you'll miss me, won't you? A mischievous smile on her lips. Can't say that in honesty, no. But there have been moments I'll miss, Evan replies. He denies her a return kiss, and his lip wrinkles a little at her touch, as if there's a bad smell in the room. Josh feels dizzy, puts a hand on the couch arm to steady himself. Look, the story of the October Witch was great, he says, grasping for sanity. But I'm not interested in... I haven't... Evan, I'm only here because my car ran out of gas, and Audra said... But what I'm trying to say is, absolutely nothing's been going on here. I, I just... A clock on the wall interrupts him, chiming the midnight hour, and the candle flames shake and bow as the cabin door opens and more men file in, each one vaguer and less distinct than the one before. Here's Austin, who died in a snowmobile accident, Audra says, beckoning the newcomers closer. And Nick, who got careless with a chainsaw. And Andy, who had a little too much to drink and stumbled onto the train tracks. And Daryl, who got set upon by three men. And Tyler, he tried to run, but they brought him to me. There's no outrun in my pack. And Kevin, whose car went off the road, just like you. And... Josh claps his hand over his ears to muffle the litany. I didn't go off the road. I ran out of gas. You saw the car. You picked me up. I am dreaming this. I'm still asleep on the couch. Audra strokes his cheek ever so gently. Oh, you did too, honey. You know it in your heart, don't you? But your poor spirit just couldn't bear to face it and made up another story for you instead car ran out of gas just in time. Sure it did. You didn't bounce down thirty feet, didn't go flying through the windshield, didn't bleed out all alone on the side of the mountain. Course not. Honey, she said, and her warm breath smells of it, honey and moonshine. It's confusing. Josh almost wants to grab her by the shoulders and kiss her, but he feels something else, too. Deep dread. A sense of drowning. A sense of chains. Run, you dumbass, one of the ghosts says. You got legs. Use them. Don't torment the man, says Andra coldly. To Josh, voice warm again. Don't you listen to Tyler. He just wants to visit on you the suffering he brought on himself by running. But another voice speaks right in Josh's ear, a ghost from so long ago, his body's barely a glimmer. Don't let her bewitch you, boy. You still feel the blood in your veins and the breath in your lungs. And maybe you're still living. But whether you're living or dead, your soul's a pearl of great price, and you can't let her have it. Run for it, run fast. If you make to morning, you're free. 
So Josh pulls away from Audra, pushes through the crowd, and out the door into the blind midnight dark and frosty cold. Fetch him back for me, the command rings out, even as Josh stumbles over a clod of frozen earth. He hears baying and blanches. They're hunting dogs now, each and every one of Audra's husbands, hellhounds calling for him, eager to tear out not his throat, but his soul. Terror makes Josh nimble. He scrambles to his feet and flees, heading for morning, praying he can last till dawn. And welcome back. I'd be surprised if many of you were surprised by Audra, and personally, that's one of the things I loved about this story. It's pretty easy early on to see where it's going, but the twist isn't what the story is about. I mentioned a couple weeks ago I listened to Stephen King's The Shining for the first time, and I think that story is a big enough piece of our culture at this point that even those of us who haven't experienced it have a pretty good idea of what it's building toward. And I love the way Francesca took us along for this ride, never trying to hide where we were heading. Okay, feedback this week is for Andrew Romine Penn's Nor the Moonlight, read by Cheyenne Wright. This was the story set during an alternate lost generation, with Pablo Picasso as a flesh-sculpting sorcerer and a Frankensteinian monster of a hero trying to rescue his gay lover. The story received a mixed reception, some of that because we didn't get the French pronunciations right, which we are very sorry about. We'll try to do better next time. Also, because why did Picasso have to be such a monster? And I think my favorite bit of discussion was coming up with other artists who might have been more monstrous, like Leslie Ann, who said, I like this story overall, but, but Picasso? I get and appreciate the bull's heart thing is a Guernica reference, and that the guard golem is probably a reference to his analytical cubist period, but... Pablo Picasso as a Byronic Frankensteinian monster maker just doesn't ring true to me in terms of either the art or the man. I admit I'm not a Picasso scholar or anything, but I'd always gotten the impression of him being a fairly compassionate bohemian type. I'm given to understand his discomfort with high society was what killed his first marriage. And for all that cubism looks kind of weird, it's not grotesque chimera stuff. It's just trying to represent things from a variety of angles in a two-dimensional image. Now Salvador Dali, I would have bought that for this role. But he wasn't in Paris, he was hanging out in Spain, chumming it up with the Franco-fascists. I could see Dali having ruined Alan out of sheer aesthetic sensibility, and I say that as someone who more or less likes him. Prokion said, I think my response to the story boils down to this. I like the setting a lot more than the characters. I had a hard time connecting and identifying with these emotionally traumatized, hard-boiled, murderous, and suicidal quasi-human men. The love between them, if you want to call it love, maybe more like love is an escape from pain, felt like a shadow. We see them meet. We see them part. We see Alan fall, shrieking and mutilated into the depths of the abyss, but we don't really see why they have this attachment to one another. Perhaps that's intentional, but it left me wondering why Sam, the scarred misanthrope, loved the other so much. But the war-torn Paris, with its airships and spells, 
and the words the author used to bring it to life I liked a lot. It felt like a real place, seen through the spiritual noir eyes of Sam. Great stuff. Oh man, someone else is using spiritual noir now. I swoon. Well, thanks very much for those comments. Head on down to forum.escapeartist.net and let us know what you thought of this week's story. And if you like what we're doing, please consider visiting podcastle.org and making a donation. We're still in need of money. We will be here next year, or at least for part of next year, thanks to all of you. But if you can help us out by signing up for a subscription of $2, $5, $10, or even $20, or making a one-time donation of your choice, we'd greatly appreciate it. Thanks. And as a special thank you, we are planning on getting something extra to you by Thanksgiving. Our featured donor this week is Forumite Chemistry Guy, a.k.a. Dale, who tells us he's happy to help PodCastle keep floating because it's helped him discover great stories, like Christy Yant's The Three Feats of Agani, Tim Pratt's The Secret Beach, and Leah Bobbitt's The Parable of the Shower, due to its pure cheeky reverence. He also says there's so many excellent readers here, especially Wilson Fowley and Graham Dunlop, whose very name is epic. Thanks very much, Dale, for helping us to get to infinity and beyond. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. On behalf of everyone here at PodCastle, Anne Leckie, LaShawn Wanick, M.K. Hobson, Anna Schwind, and myself, Dave Thompson, thank you so much for letting us share another story with you. We'll be back in one week with the story of saints and swords when Cat Howard graces our castle for the first time. Until then, think twice about getting in the truck with strange women. We'll see you next week. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend, or post to your blog about it, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Our closing quote is from L. M. Montgomery, who said, I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon.